Well, hello, hello, hello. Yeah, hello. It's, your, it's your dear old friend, Dating Funnies. How is everybody out there today? So today, a little, a little different today in my podcast, as most of you probably, you know, heard some of my podcasts, maybe all of them. I had somebody reach out to me this week, tell me that they binged, listened to all my podcasts, which was about 90 episodes, so that was impressive. And, of course, I initially started my podcast to talk about the silly things that have happened to me or continue to happen to me or the bad things that happened through my uh, my dating stories. And, but yet things keep cropping up about things that I need to pause and think about, do research on, and, and understand my role and how I date people. I had one listener a long time ago. Her and her girlfriend sat around and, and said, you know, what kind of date am I? And I thought that was a very good question. And that, that kind of bounces around in my head a lot. Because what kind of date am I? What kind of date am I when I show up? And I've chatted about this before. And maybe uh, probably a good reminder. And I'm not trying to be a dating coach. But maybe I'll learn more. And maybe I can help you folks in your efforts to try to find the, the cream of the crop, so to speak, for you. But we talk about love languages. It's a great book, and it, and it talks about how we can better relate with our partners, our kids, our coworkers if we understood better what their driving love language is. And so how you can cater to that to make that person feel like uh, you're attentive and that they're feeling loved and so forth like that. Well, through this process, I know about a year ago, I dated a lady, and we've talked about her before on the podcast. And she asked me what my attachment style was and I'd never heard of that before so I pulled up some articles on the different attachment styles took a test then just took a test recently again and I can see where these attachment style theories could make a lot of sense in what we're trying to accomplish is we're trying to date someone because if 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 we have two different attachment styles and we're not aware of it, then we're going to be hitting our head up against the wall. And even this woman I dated a year ago, we seem to match on our attachment style, yet there's other pieces of the dynamic that just totally fell apart because of her bad behavior. So I, this isn't the be-in, end-all, but I thought it was very important to at least share with you. It was someone that I met and uh, her name is Taryn Newton-Gill, and she actually has a blog that you might want to check out called Truer Love, and she's a love guide and an attachment guide, and she she's, understands better what the attachment styles are, and it's something that you should look into on yourself as well, figure out what your attachment style is, or reach out to her, and see how this would play into your dating life, and how maybe you can... Uh, get a sense of what someone else's attachment style is. So with that, I'm going to turn the mic over, so to speak, and ask Taryn to uh, introduce herself and tell us more about her journey, why she started this, and uh, what she can enlighten us with to help us in our uh, quest to find uh, a companion or a partner. So welcome, Taryn. appreciate you joining us today. Thank you, Ray. I'm so happy to be here. And... Um yeah, attachment is something I could talk about all day uh, because I think it is so fascinating and honestly, I think it's the best kept secret in the dating world. I think it's the biggest hole in our understanding 
of what it takes to have a healthy, happy relationship. Yeah, sadly, and, and the positives, just for a moment, and, and I, I agree with you 120%. Sadly, like I, I met a dating coach many years ago, and after they sat and talked to me for two hours, they said, well, the, you're going to have a problem meeting someone that's going to work for you because 95% of the people out there will not pause long enough to do the work. So they come to the date or relationship without pausing long enough to figure out who they are, what they really want, let alone learn their love language or learn their attachment style. They're just eager to fill the void. And then you know they go through the honeymoon phase, think everything's great, yet if they would pause and understand these dynamics, how powerful would that be? So powerful. I mean, I think in general, as a society, we live quite unconsciously a lot. And so a lot about, a lot of my work is about helping people become more conscious, more awake to themselves, because I think it solves a lot of problems in the world, including dating, um, including love, but um, really just self-awareness. And that's why I think, you know, you know, say what you will about millennials, but we're all about self-awareness. And I think that people in general have started leaning more towards learning about themselves. And this is such a great place to start because attachment explains so much about us that we don't even realize both about our own relationship with ourselves and our relationship with other people. And it can even explain your relationship to your career and money and food. It's essentially how you've oriented yourself in the world in relation to other things and people. So where does, where does the attachment, um, do the attachment styles that are created, like all things, do they start with childhood? Your oh, relationship yeah. with your mother, your father, how you were raised? You know it. They definitely can. That's the most common place they start. And and then other significant relationships, usually in earlier life, like, um, you know, you can have your attachment style start showing signs of it as early as, you know, a year. Um, but if you have, you know, a situation with a friend group when you're 12, that can also affect it. If you have a difficult relationship in your 20s, that can also affect sure. it. Sure. Um, so it's really during those formative years, people who we are, you know, considered our attachment figures, that's what it means when we have an attachment to someone. So of course, our first people that we have an attachment to are usually our parents or primary caregivers. Sure. Now, like in my case, you know, my mom had me when she was, when I say very young, very young. I mean, she yeah. had me when she was 12. Oh, wow. And, they, and I was in a foster home for four years before... My adoptive father adopted me. They got married. and But I remember, you know, people used to say, well, you're, you, you, you have a problem with your mom. And I could never really sort it out until when I was 50. She said, you know, if I didn't have you, my life would be so different. And it was at that moment, of course, her and I had a conversation about that because I was like, look, I'm not six anymore. You're not going to keep telling me that. But people said, why do you stick on to these relationships the tr people treat you badly why do you try to make them work and it just dawned on me at that moment when she said that wow there's where I'm stuck my attachment is well maybe if I love them a little bit more they'll love me back yes right that is the key right there right That's there it. you just said it and it's a very real thing and um you know you mentioned that you had taken a quiz recently and can you remind me what you said your attachment style was? It said 50% uh, was secure and 13% was anxious. 
Okay. And like I shared with you, it's like to me, I'm easy to let go of people. They communicate with me, and of course, I'll be heartbroken. I'll be sad for a while. Wow, that's too bad. But I get really, I have a real hard time letting go, not letting them go. They go do what they want to do. They say they're done, they're done. But I, I have a mental block that when people are lie to me, they're deceitful, they're not trustworthy. I can't let go of it in my head for a while, whether it's business, yeah. friends, family, dating partners. I just don't understand. It's great that we have self-awareness, but why do we have to be liars and cheaters? Right, and, right. And disrespectful and so, to other people. That And that's the part that I have a hard time with because I try not to be, well, I know I don't lie to people. I'm not dishonest with people. I try to respect people, respect people's mm-hmm. space. So it's just so odd to me that people would treat me differently in the process. Yeah. Well, I totally hear that. And I think that, first off, something that maybe is a soothing thought is just that when people are lying and cheating and being dishonest, that is a reflection of their own insecurity with themselves. But no question. It's all about projection, for sure. But we have to buy that and say, okay, they're projecting onto me what they don't like about themselves. But it right. hurts nonetheless. 100%. But that is the work. Because the work is learning to not internalize how they're treating you as a reflection of who you are and of your inherent worth. Right. And that's, that's why it is rooted in that anxious attachment. Because when you were a child, the message you got... and all of us with anxious attachments, myself included, because that's me and that's why I'm in this work too. Um, it's because I always had an anxious attachment and didn't understand how it was affecting mostly my love relationships, but it definitely showed up in other ones too. But it's because when we have a parent, um, and it usually anxious attachment specifically comes from when we have one parent who is more emotionally available, aka secure, who teaches us what love can feel like, what feeling safe with someone and vulnerable can feel like, nurturing can feel like. And then we have this other parent who is inconsistent in their emotional availability. So your mom would be an example of that, of that maybe there were times when she was there, but then when it didn't suit her or when she got insecure or uncomfortable or couldn't hold the space for your emotions as a child, she would tune out, withdraw, whatever it is she might do, or even just telling you something like, you know, my life would be different without you, it creates this core wound of low self-worth in that child because they don't think that they are worthy of their parents' constant and consistent love and attention. Sure, and I I can see this. I mean, we've got a lot of single parents out there, Mm -hmm. and it's a lot of work to, like my mom, they divorced and she remarried six more times. Oh, wow. So I had six stepfathers. So, and in between those voids, you know, of relationships, she's trying to do it all, and she's raising four kids. And and I've dated people that had the dynamic of raising their own kids, and then they got the dynamic of the ex. And so, you know, with these younger kids, they developed this. So, I mean, so the, the question that comes to mind immediately for me is, so... Instead of going one when I go to meet someone for the first time and trying to figure out what their favorite music is or their favorite flower, um, it, it'd almost be better to find out a little bit more about how they grew up. How, how yeah. many siblings? What uh, you know? Were they closest to their mom or their dad, and why do they think that is? I mean, maybe that would give us a little bit more insight. Because I tell you, it's like I've told you, you and I chatted before that one couple that said no way, no way, no way for two and a half years, and they finally go on a date, come to find out 
what everybody else could see they couldn't see because they were stuck in their own patterns. And those patterns could right. be the love language, it could be the attachment. Because we do, we don't see the world as it is. We see right. it as we are with our own self-imposed limitations. And I can see the attachment thing for sure because if you don't feel worthy of a healthy partner, then you're gonna continue to attract unhealthy people because you won't take the time to really get to know them and hopefully they'll open up to you. So that my question was, how do you coach people through in the dating cycle? You might do the work, I might do all the work and understand my attachment style, but how do I know the person sitting across the table from me? How do I find out if they've done the work? That's What's their attachment question. style? Yeah, that's a great question. And to your point about do we just have to ask them about their childhood on the first date? Well, I would say no. I think <laughs> I think that um, you know that's maybe more a second, third date question, unless it comes up naturally. You know, the first date is really you just want to see: Do I enjoy this person's company? Do I enjoy their presence? Do I like talking to them? You know, um, and yes, attraction is part of that. But to me, attraction actually healthy attraction comes a little later. So if you ha happen to be attraction attracted at first, that's great. You just don't want that to distract you from who they actually are. But that's another conversation for another podcast. But my point is that there are signs and there are certain character characteristics and qualities in people that we can kind of infer their attachment style. Um, and when you get good at it, you can't unsee it anymore. I, you know, I talk to people for two seconds and I know their attachment style. So some of those signs, you know, we can speak specifically to the anxious and the avoidant styles because those are the two main insecure styles because we've got secure people who are generally comfortable with love with being vulnerable with giving love they give people the benefit of the doubt they're warm they're a little more forgiving they don't get so you know ruffled by things so easily and just to to put it out there, these attachment styles exist along a spectrum, meaning that they can change, which can make it a little confusing, but we usually have a primary or dominant one. But depending on the relationship, you know, like me being an anxious person, I show up much more securely in a relationship with my husband who's more secure versus when I used to date more avoidant men, I definitely was way more anxious. And then someone who's super anxious might make me avoidant. So it can be confusing, but there's, you know, a more, your most consistent style when we say what your style is. So we've got the secure people, but then you've got the insecure people. And so actually secure people make about 50% of the dating pool, but the problem is they pair off quickly. So then you've got a lot of insecure people in the dating pool and that's where the struggle comes from. But there's a lot you can do to work on your attachment style if you're willing. And so when you have the anxious person and then you have the avoidant person, and then the third is the small subgroup that's about three to 5% of people, which is a combination of both. And they kind of show signs of both. They oscillate between both styles, but just for the purposes of this explanation, let's just focus on the characteristics of the anxious and the avoidant. And so when you have someone anxious, they are the kind of people who you think of as the people please. They are really over concerned with how other people see them, how other people treat them. And um, they need a lot of reassurance that that person isn't going to leave or abandon them or change their mind about them. Um, because that's what they're used to from that inconsistent parent who would on a dime change their mood, change their mind and give them that message that they're not worthy. So they're constantly looking to be validated by other people. And so it really shows up a lot as people pleasing, overthinking sometimes, you know, apologizing, 
being really sensitive, sometimes getting really mad and critical really quickly. And that's because they're holding in their emotions because they're afraid to say how they feel. So those are some kind of key qualities of an anxious, but they're usually very warm people. They're very, they're usually people people, you know, they're very in touch with other people's feelings and moods and emotions and needs. Um, and so they make great friends, great partners. They just need a little extra love, you know? And then avoidant people, they are usually someone who has avoidance in their attachment style, came from some form of neglect or abuse or some kind of space where they weren't allowed to show their emotions freely, where the idea of being vulnerable or showing emotion was really shunned upon or it was so abusive that showing it would um, would be like really unsafe for them. So all of our attachment styles are actually rooted in our nervous system. So when we're treated a certain way, however many times, it becomes this like pattern in our nervous system. So when anxious people get triggered, meaning suddenly they think someone's gonna leave or abandon them, they get very anxious. And that's where that, that term comes from and very preoccupied with the relationship and need for validation. And, and it's a physical thing that will happen in their body. Same with the avoidant, except the difference is that in the avoidant person's nervous system, they will actually, their nervous system will numb them to their feelings. So they actually lose access to exactly what they're feeling as this protective mechanism. And so they show up being way less emotional, way more withdrawn, um, more focused on being really independent. They have told themselves their whole lives that they're safer being on their own. So when people say, you know, I'm really independent all the time and they really lean into that, or maybe they're constantly working, you know. Also avoidant people prefer to talk about things like, like things, they'll get really invested in a, um, an idea or a niche subject or something like that, but not really have a lot of emotional grounding for an emotional conversation. You know, they, if you ask them how they feel, they couldn't tell you, but they could tell you everything about, you know, their favorite band because that's a safer thing for them to talk about. And I can see, um, I can, well, I can see all these, especially the void one. I mean, in, in, a, in, a, in a thing we call life, Yeah. and we, we might be secure when we're a teenager, early 20s, but then when you go through the ups and downs of a life, divorces, deaths, failures, yeah. I can see where people could easily fall into the avoidant category because now they've shut off themselves because they feel like they've been abused or neglected in society mm -hmm. as a whole and they're not successful so, or they're, they've had abusive partners so they, they're better off just being independent on their own because then they protect themselves that way. Exactly, yeah. yes. And that I'm so glad you said that because that's actually my specialty is working with women who, because this was an, a message I always got, you know, independence just in general is so revered in our world, you know, and we have all these negative connotations for when people want love, they seem needy, they seem clingy, you know, they seem codependent. And the truth is, is that we are actually more resilient and more confident and able to be more independent, really, or more self-sufficient when we have a secure base or a secure relationship but we get this message that that's not good and that that shows you're weak and unhealthy. And so especially, you know, a lot of women I talk to share this problem with me where we kind of are like, well, I don't need a man, I'm an independent woman, you know? And so I know all these women who are successful in their career and, and so like have great friendships, but they still can't figure out love. 
And it's because we have, I mean, there's a lot of reasons for it. Usually it's because there's an insecure attachment there, but it's that they're trying to uphold this idea of being independent and doing it all on their own. And that's not actually healthy for them at the end of the day. You know, right. it's very healthy to need people, but it's about creating what I call interdependence, you know, where it's kind of like you take, you take turns getting your needs met, but it does take a certain level of vulnerability, which, you know, no one wants to feel. Yeah, yeah, so. I understand. So what's a secure? What's a, uh, are you, do you say most people are secure or no? You see, I think you said 50%. About 50%, and that's from, um, those statistics are from a book called Attached, uh, that is really popular. What's it called um, again, Attached? It's, it's called Attached. It's kind of the Bible for attachment as a really good way to start learning about it. It's very accessible. And so those, those numbers are from that book. And so, yeah, about 50% of people they say are secure. I, I question that sometimes, but <laughs> what that means is when someone's secure, they had two emotionally available parents who, when they needed something, were there, you know, and, and didn't, and made, and didn't, you know, judge them maybe, or make them feel wrong for having a feeling. They created a safe space for them to feel all their feelings and to be seen and be heard and acknowledged right kind of like and a safe place to land being able exactly to, and that's what you know when i talk to people they look they say what are you looking for i say i'm looking for a safe place to land they go what does that mean i said i get to talk to you about anything and everything without the fear of repercussion yes and, and i offer you the same 100 percent. and that's what we're all looking for we want a safe place exactly exactly we want a place where we can be ourselves for sure right and, and that's what secure parents do for their children, is they let them be themselves. And that doesn't mean they don't give them guidance, but you know, it's like, you know, if a, a toddler's learning to walk and they walk away and they look back, they know that parent's still there. Okay, I can go be myself, but if I get hurt, I know I can run back and you'll still be right here. And sure. you're not gonna judge me. You're gonna just make me feel right. better. And that's tough to do in this, uh, this day and age in terms of dating. So let me, uh, so for the audience, uh, if they wanted to know more about these styles and how to break their patterns, break out of the mold that they're in, how, uh, how would they reach, uh, reach you? Would they go to your blog, the Truer Love blog? Yeah, so I have a few, a few different things. Um, I have my website, which is truerlove.com, where you can find my journal, my blog that you're talking about. So I got some articles there. I also have a podcast called Truer Love Stories. And that's where I anonymously coach people. Once a month is when it drops on the, all things related to love. And we're always discussing attachment in relation to the context of that person. But I have a quiz on my website that you can people can start there. And I also have my Instagram page, which is at underscore truer love underscore. Um, but specifically for you know any women listening who feel like they relate to what I was talking about, about being an independent woman and being successful and basically figuring everything out but love, I'm starting a new Facebook group called Secure Love for Successful Women. And so that one's really going to be where we zero in on that particular issue. Okay. And you can help anyone. For any, I mean, what I've learned throughout my years is that whether you're from China, Argentina, Europe, we all, men and women alike, we all have the same want need. 
right? We do, we do. And there's a lot of focus placed on gender about the difference between men and women. And I have to say at the end of the day, when it comes to love, we are not all that different. We're not that, we're really not all that different. How we communicate and how we feel might be a little different, but overall, mm-hmm. yeah, we all want the same stuff. We all want totally. the, the same type of connection with a partner that we can relax into the relationship. Right. Yes. And that's exactly. the goal. And that would be the goal that I would suggest everyone listening here. You know, if you haven't, take the time to read the five love languages. It's a good book. And then I'd also encourage you to look at this attachment style. When I met that lady a year ago, I printed up everything I could on it because I wanted to learn what it was she was uh, discussing. And then I shared mine with her and she shared hers with, with me. So it was good to have that conversation. And even though the relationship didn't work out, at least I learned a little bit more about myself. And and at the end of the day, even if you don't partner up, you still need to learn a little bit more about yourself, right? Yeah, it'll make it easier when the next person comes along. Or when you interact with clients or coworkers. Totally. uh, Any last thought real quickly uh, on uh, attachment styles that you can leave the listeners with? I mean, I would certainly encourage you to go to her website Follow her on Instagram. Get on. I, I would assume you're on all the uh, podcast channels, right? Stitcher, iHeart, Apple. I believe so. I usually promote Apple and Spotify. I know I'm at least on there. I believe I'm also on Google Podcasts. Um, but I should be, yes, on most of those. Yeah. I just don't go to those myself. So. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, there's only so know. much <laughs> time in a day for sure. So any yeah. last thoughts? Yeah, just, you know, it all starts with self-compassion and being honest with yourself about who you are and that is where all the real work starts so starting with understanding your attachment style and being willing to see what that is and what that means i think is a perfect place to begin with all this okay well great well i appreciate you coming on giving us a glimpse into this uh like i said it was news to me and i I would guess a lot of other people haven't heard about this style Uh, but it is i think going back to that question that one listener said to her friends and I think we all should pause for a moment and say to ourselves what kind of date am I how am I showing up when I text someone email someone or meeting them in person of course you want to meet them in person but what kind of date are you maybe you need to realign how you approach things and and believe it or not we will get a different result in the end, but if we go in there being the same way as we always were, were and not willing to change a little bit, we're going to continue to get the same bad result. I mean, exactly. I'm living proof of that. <laughs> Sadly, but I try to change. But you know, you, people. I met someone the other day, and she's just finally a year and a half of turmoil, finally getting divorced. Final. Well, to me, it's like. I know what it's like. I remember a lady in my office real quickly before I have to end this because I'm running out of time on the on the video thing. Is she, they were married for 30 years, and then it took them like five years to get divorced. And she says, "Like it's no big deal. You, you know, we're apart. We've been apart for all five years." And I said, "Well, when that judge lowers that gavel, it'd be interesting to see what your thoughts are then." So all of a sudden, when I come to the office, she, she's bawling her eyes. I said, "What's wrong? What happened?" She goes, "You were right." they lowered that gavel a whole sea of emotions went through me and that's the same thing that happened to me i mean i was there my ex-wife wasn't when he lowered that gavel i left that court feeling like i was a failure i let people down yeah you know so 
So these things we can learn along the way to, to try to show up to be a better partner down the road. So and and just to point out too that it's this is all very natural. Like we think we're alone and feeling like a failure, but if you, we don't know what we don't know, right? You know, so. I think that's why I say it's self-compassion, being able to forgive yourself for what you've done wrong and know that you can still always move forward. Uh, I, I appreciate it, and I thank you. And I thank you for being a guest on uh, on Dating Funnies. Uh, again, uh, you want to send me your story, you have any comments about the podcast today, you can reach me at Dating Funnies, D-A-T-I-N-G-F-U-N-N-I-E-S at gmail.com. Love to share your story on the podcast. Any of your comments, good, bad, or indifferent, and I would encourage you to reach out to Taryn Newton-Gill and get get some opinions and some advice on how you can chart a new path to success of finding the person that you're looking for. Again, thanks for listening to Dating Funnies.